zone. You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're discussing Super Fuzz, released September 18th, 1981. It was written by Sergio Corbucci, Sabatino Quafini, directed by Corbucci, and released by Avco Embassy in the U.S. Director Sergio Corbucci is a celebrated Italian director known as well for his violent spaghetti westerns as for action comedies, often starring beloved Italian duo Terence Hill and Bud Spencer. Apparently their birth names are actually Mario Girardi and Carlo Pedersoli, who has said that he chose the name Bud Spencer as a reference to Budweiser Beer and Spencer Tracy. This particular film is a rare example to star Terence Hill in the lead, but with no role for Bud Spencer. But it was made in America, Miami specifically, with an American audience in mind. It was released first in Italy, and consequently the only existing Blu-ray transfer is in Italian. We watched the English dub, which was only available in standard def, but it's dubbed in English over actors speaking English on set, which is amusing. So the words all match the lips, but it's but clearly ADR. Yeah, there's still problems. It's weird. Why? I don't understand why they did that. I don't think they saved the original audio tracks. That's why. But if it was originally aimed for an American audience, why would you ditch the original audio? Because they couldn't get distribution. So they took it back to Italy. They dubbed it all in Italian. And then when they decided, oh, we could sell this in America, where's the American audio? And they were like, I don't fucking know where that went. Well, but that that's a staple of Italian filmmaking is they never record audio. Yeah, that they, that's true. A lot of, of giallo time. films, the people, even when the words match the lips, they're not they're not saying it on set. I mean, they are saying it on set, but they're not recording it on set. Mm -hmm. The only actor whose voice I would have recognized here is Ernest Borgnine, so at least they brought him in to dub himself. Yeah. Its American box office totals were underwhelming, but it found renewed popularity and heavy rotation on HBO in the early 80s. The actual on-screen title within the film is Super Snooper, which actually matches the film's original theme song, but all marketing materials and most posters I could find call the film Super Fuzz. I wish it were so-called Super Snooper because that's such a superior title. Mm -hmm. Is it though? Yes, it is. Well, because, I mean, to me, fuzz is, is more of a 70s term for cops, I feel. Yeah. It's, and Snooper is just not a term at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> snooper means nothing. It's just nonsense. One of the film's many taglines was the law and disorder comedy and co-star Ernest Borgnine had earlier starred in a film titled Law and Disorder in 1974. So this is his second Law and Disorder film. The film starts, as I said, with the title card Super Snoopers. We see footage of action scenes through a high-contrast two-color pop filter under the credits. I was really concerned because you said that the standard def version was very watchable. You were like, oh, it's not going to look like this, is it? <laughs> I was just like, this is not watchable. <laughs> no. Wrong, Patrick. We finish the opening credits on a news report of a protest outside the Florida State Penitentiary. Disgraced police officer David Speed, not to be confused with David Spade, played by Terrence Hill, is scheduled for execution today. His fourth such penalty after three failed attempts. Why are they protesting? What are they protesting? They're protesting capital punishment, not specifically okay. his arrest. Evidently, his crime was murdering his superior officer, Sergeant Willie Dunlop, portrayed later in the film by Mr. Ernest Borgnine. 
We see a woman we'll come to know as Evelyn Dunlop watching the report from a television in a laundromat. The reporter explains that Speed has so far survived the gas chamber, the gallows, and even a firing squad without so much as a scratch. We cut to old-timey gangster Tony Torpedo, who is glad to see Speed get his comeuppance. Now he's gonna get the chair. I'd like to see the son of a bitch get out of that. Now he's gonna fry. His henchmen laugh on a nearby couch. One of them, named Paradise Alley, but we'll call him mostly Paradise, gets a call on a brick phone and hands it to Torpedo. It's actress Rosie LaBouche, played by actress Joanne Drew, calling to assure him that this time everything will go according to plan. As she says this, she is being driven up to the jail in a convertible. As they pass the protesters, our attention turns to a woman walking a dog in the crowd. She assures the cameras that her dog Leopold opposes the death penalty vehemently. They ask another man in the crowd how he feels about today's events, but he doesn't seem affiliated with the protesters at all. I'm sure glad I ain't in his place. I know he ain't feeling too good. It's like, why are you here with all yeah. these protesters then? Rosie approaches the front gates of the jail with a bundle of roses, demanding to be let in, but the guards refuse her, despite being a celebrity, with an invitation from the governor. I would think that they would definitely let someone in with an invitation from the governor. Or at least provide proof of said invitation. Yeah. Is the governor there? Yeah, but the warden works for the governor. Like, if he got a call to stop this execution from the governor, that would happen. She asks if they would at least do her the favor of staging these roses somewhere Officer Speed can see them, so he might think of her when he shuffles off this mortal coil, and they reluctantly accept the flowers. We cut into the jail, where Officer Speed has his legs kicked up while he enjoys a 14th plate of baked beans. A passing guard reminds him he is entitled to champagne, if he so chooses, for his last meal, but he says it gives him gas. Instead, Speed requests a 15th bowl of beans, preferably Azuki beans, but they're already coming to take him to the chair. He claims he'll have them for lunch, but a fellow inmate reminds him he won't be around by lunch. By the time lunchtime rolls around, you're going to be having dinner with hunky number one. The priest arrives to walk Speed to <laughs> Wait, the... Wait, <laughs> no is, is hunky number one God? Yeah. yeah. I like that. Yeah. I will use that now. <laughs> hunky but, number but, one. But also... I pray to hunky number one that everything works out. <laughs> but is that, does that, is that like... Like verifiable proof that God is white? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy's gonna go to heaven after killing his partner. <laughs> the priest arrives to walk Speed to the electric chair and doesn't need to read him his last rites again since they've been through this three times now. Speed asks for absolution for his beans-related gluttony and he receives it. The camera zooms into newspaper clippings in his cell. Police officers Speed and Dunlop detail their daring capture of supermarket bandits. For our dead man walking shot, we suddenly hear Speed's internal monologue. When all this first began, I never dreamt it would end this way. I had just come out of the police academy and received my first solo assignment. It seems like only yesterday. We cut back in time to a stock footage shot of a rocket launch, and it looks to me like the Apollo 11 launch, specifically the one that sent Armstrong, Aldrin, and Collins to the moon for the first time. It's playing a different rocket, though, and suddenly a military official explains the goal of this particular launch. As you know, red plutonium will re-enter the Earth's atmosphere and will plunge and plummet with pinpoint precision to a predetermined place on the Earth's surface. The purpose of red plutonium's mission is to test a top-secret device for detecting minerals below the moon's crust. Now, gentlemen, the site selected for this momentous experiment is namely Creektown, or as the Indians call it, Popoke. So I guess they're going to drop something on the Earth's surface, which will detect elements as a test to later do the same thing on the moon? That's... I guess? Yeah. But they're doing it in a previously occupied place. Neighborhood, yeah. You know, it's like they don't have, like, 
500,000 acres of desert. Right. Isn't that where they normally test this stuff? exactly. But they're just hoping that the Earth's atmosphere has no effect on the functionality of this device, too. They have evacuated the local Native Americans from their land during this experiment and staged them in the far corner of the press conference. The land under the rocket is now clear of potential casualties, except for one. We cut back to Poboak, which is essentially swampland, as Officer Speed paddles his way through the marsh. He's here to collect on an unpaid parking ticket, but of course he won't find the violator because everyone's been evacuated. Headquarters tries to reach him on his radio to warn him of the impending rocket test, but he parked his bike back on the road so he can't hear them. His superior officer, Sergeant Dunlop, played by Ernest Borgnine, gets impatient and picks up the mic to shout the man to safety. This is Sergeant Dunlop calling Officer Speed. Officer Speed, do you read me? Over. Oh, that was good thinking, Sergeant. Sending him across the glaze to creep down on the very day NASA's having the top secret experiments out there. Oh, that's really smart. Well, how was I to know that, Chief? I mean, you yourself just said it was top secret. A reporter asks a scientist what might have happened to the Native Americans if they hadn't been evacuated, and the man says basically nothing. It was just a precaution, but they would have been bombarded with supposedly harmless amoeba rays. That doesn't sound good. (laughs) Amoeba rays? When Officer Speed reaches the address he was rowing to, it's literally just a thatched roof hut in a clearing. There's no car to have even collected a parking ticket with. We get another insert of a completely different looking rocket shooting through the atmosphere. When Speed determines there is nobody here, he radios back to headquarters to report that the place looks abandoned, and they don't even try to radio back this time before deciding he definitely can't hear them. Yeah, it's like they're saying like that he's on shortwave, yeah. we can hear him, but he can't hear us. It's like, no, it would work the other way Yeah, because you would have a much more strong... powerful system. Than yeah, he exactly. He'd be broadcasting at a much higher power. It's him. He's coming through on shortwave. We can hear him, but he can't hear us. It's a freak reception. It's like, oh, that covers it. It's (laughs) a freak reception. (laughs) Dunlop assumes Speed can hear them and screams over the radio to evacuate. Speed, you dumb rookie! Get back here right away! You're gonna get yourself killed! Unable to hear Dunlop, Speed posts the ticket to the hut's totem pole and returns to his canoe when he finds it occupied by an alligator. When he can't coax the creature out of his boat, he pulls his gun, but can't bring himself to kill the animal. So instead, he holds the gun over his head and fires it into the sky, by complete chance, hitting and destroying the rocket flying overhead, which is obviously (laughs) impossible because rockets move way faster than bullets do. Is that really what they're implying I think so. (laughs) That he is shooting the rocket out of the sky. Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> it doesn't look on purpose. It doesn't look like a yeah. planned ejection of, of amoeba red plutonium. <laughs> yeah, red plutonium, which is just plutonium that's been dyed red. Yeah. Fancy. Uh, yeah. And I don't I don't think a bullet would go that high yeah. if you fired it straight up. Unless it had as much fuel under it as this rocket right. does. And and even so, even if it got high enough to hit the rocket, it would have almost no energy left in it. Yeah. Now, I really want to see the sequel to this movie, which I am hoping is called Super Croc. If there is a sequel to it, it's called Miami Super Cops, not Super Croc. Super Super Croc would be such a better movie. I want to see the crocodile going around and fighting crime with his superpowers. And it teams up with Leopold, and they both get capital punishment banned in Florida. Leopold is the dog from the protest. Was it Leatherhead? Was that the name of the mutant yes. cro- uh, alligator? From the one that Jim Cummings did the voice of on Ninja Turtles? Yeah. Yeah. 
what what was the catchphrase that he had i can't remember he he did the same voice for princess and the frog that he okay. did for leatherhead because i'm thinking of another bayou character yeah that i think jim cummings did uh on darkwing duck was which was i guarantee <laughs> which is funny because the character of jambalaya jake had the same catchphrase. had the same catchphrase <laughs> i guarantee and he had a pet alligator yeah yo from shreveport when the rocket explodes, Speed stares directly into the bright red explosion and takes a barrage of red amoeba rays to the face. Back at police headquarters, his fellow officers are instantly eulogizing the man, even though the scientist on TV said these rays are harmless. <laughs> Besides, assuming he shot the rocket and it didn't explode by design, it was clearly still on its way up, meaning it would be closer to the launch site than to Poboke when it erupted. Dunlop is demoted to officer for killing his subordinate. Later, we see Dunlop guarding an open manhole cover in a busy intersection. Suddenly, Officer Speed pulls over to the side of a nearby overpass and waves down to Dunlop. Dunlop is dumbfounded to see Speed alive and walks straight forward with a finger pointing at the ghost of Speed. Speed notices he's about to fall into an open sewer and shouts out a warning, but when Dunlop doesn't hear it, Speed has to maneuver the manhole cover in place with his mind. I could hardly believe it. I got the cover back into place just by thinking about it. Later, he and Dunlop are driving together. Dunlop is weirdly mad that Speed survived the explosion, mostly because he can't wrap his head around it. Well, what do you expect? If a man gets caught in the middle of an atomic blast, the least he can do is drop dead. Dunlop notices Speed is chewing bubblegum and says it's against regulations. Speed wads up his gum and sticks it to Dunlop's dash beside a black and white photo of Rosie LaBouche in her heyday, and Dunlop takes offense on her behalf, so he puts it back in his mouth. Speed claims to have seen all her films, even the silent ones, and Dunlop shares that he actually worked with her on a few films as a stuntman. Speed interrupts the story by shouting at Sarge to stop the car for apparently no reason. What the hell are you trying to do, kill us? I didn't want you to hit the elephants. What elephants? But there are no elephants, and they would have already passed through this intersection by now when elephants are finally marched into frame. Dunlop withholds being impressed until Speed can correctly guess a second unguessable obstacle in the road, but by now the light is red and Speed draws a blank. A pair of nuns cross the road behind the elephants. Elephants, yes. Nuns, no. They stop by a laundromat where Dunlop's niece Evelyn works, not to check on her, but to collect Dunlop's laundry. <laughs> she notices Officer Speed in the car and they lock eyes. He gestures with hand signals that he will call her. Dunlop is clearly annoyed by her interest in Officer Speed. Wouldn't she have probably heard that he died? I, don't, she? I think this is the same day. I don't think they've reported it to anybody. Okay. <laughs> you, well, he didn't even take him back to the station and be like, guess what, he's alive. Like, they're still on their way back to the station. But it, well, it just seems like like Dun, uh, Dunlop would have called her as a courtesy because he knows that they're dating. Yeah, well, maybe he hadn't called her as a courtesy to announce the death yet. So he didn't have to call and revoke it. Or he made both calls. A giant box truck pulls up and double parks in the road, annoying passing cars, so Speed stares hard at the side of it and then slides it into a tight spot between two cars at the curb, and we hear a chorus of voices sing about Speed's powers. Super, super. Not only is the car still parked illegally, it is simultaneously against a red curb and blocking a driveway, and it's now impossible for the driver to move because he only has inches of clearance on either side. As Dunlop collects his laundry, Evelyn blows a kiss past him to speed in the car. I don't even know if he has inches of clearance because it seems like 
he shrunk the truck in order yeah. to make it fit and then No, he, I thought he just pushed it backward. It I feel like it it shrunk. I don't think they used CG or anything in this movie. I think it was all practical effects. They just slid a truck sideways. Well, it's definitely uh it's definitely not a truck when it's sliding. Oh, is that it, true? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the truck as it as it is, and then when it cuts to the thing that moves, it's some kind of like facade of a truck. Oh, interesting. I didn't catch that. Maybe it did shrink then. <laughs> the truck driver is, of course, shocked when he sees his vehicle has been moved. Now that he has confirmed his powers, Speed wants to figure out why they keep cutting in and out. He'd like to discuss it with the sergeant, but he won't shut up about Rosie LaBouche. Speed uses his powers again to predict an incoming call on the radio. Answer the radio. Why? There's nobody calling us. Headquarters calling car 40. Headquarters calling car 40. Come in car 40. Intuition. If Dunlop had answered when Speed said to, they would have missed the call, though. They're ordered to a robbery on the 20th floor of the Johnson & Johnson building across the street from the Daily Herald building. On the way into the building, a strange man named Silvius calls to them, and Dunlop assumes he has info. Silvius, what's up? I don't know, Lock. Man, what's going on? The elevators are turned off, so they have to take the stairs, and Speed has to carry Dunlop the last five floors. But when we get to 20, tell me, I'm going to throw up. Dunlop suggests they use the charge system, wherein he hangs back and watches Speed charge through the door to see what happens. (laughs) Just before Speed reaches it, one of the henchmen inside opens the door, and Speed continues sprinting through the room and out the window on the opposite side. I assumed that on his way down, Speed would realize the power of flight, but instead, he just lands safely on the ground in front of Sylvia. It brings tears to my eyes to see a trick like that. Really? Somehow, Silvius is the only person who saw him jump from the building and land safely, even though the daily newspaper building is literally across the street. Speed runs back up the stairs in time to save Dunlop. The henchmen close the door again, but their boss wants them to keep an eye on it. Watch the door, there might be more cops! As the two men reach for the door, Speed's fists come punching through the wall and knock both men out. I really wanted them to open the door again and he'd just go right back out the window. (laughs) Speed takes Dunlop's gun back from the big bad and returns it to Dunlop. Dunlop can't understand how Speed is alive and looks out the window to see a window washer scaffolding a couple floors down from the shattered window. He assumes Speed landed on that. I might also assume that he never went out the window at all since Dunlop wasn't even in the room when that happened, but if he landed on this hanging platform, he'd have had to reel it up, at least to the broken window if not the building's roof to get back into this office. That night, a trailer truck drives past them and Speed can tell by looking at it that there's illegal gambling going on inside. They pull the vehicle over and find a crowd in tuxedos standing around a bunch of card tables. Also, it just seems really impractical to be inside of a yeah. truck trying to like, because it's supposed to be like a super fancy thing. So I imagine like there's servers and things right. like that trying to, every time the truck like like makes it too sharp of a turn, everyone's like sliding yeah. over to one side. The people look rich, so I'm sure the cops will actually be fired for this. Especially since Speed's apparent x-ray vision obviously constitutes illegal search. Dunlop assumes Speed was tipped off and kept the lead to himself, but he refuses to accept that Speed's death-defying antics have all been a result of his superpowers. We cut to a football game, and Speed tells Evelyn he wishes he was here alone with her. He closes his eyes and activates his powers to erase everyone in the stands and on the field. This this is where... <laughs> this is the point. Yeah. <laughs> where I was like, wait a minute, is he just God? Yeah, he can do literally anything. Is he God? Because he just... What? I, I, I can't even fathom 
what has happened what to these, is the power yeah or, or what has happened to these people have they been blipped yeah, like, where are they in this moment i think yeah. they were blipped yeah and what did they think when they come back right Evelyn is shocked to see that they're all gone, but just as they're about to kiss, Speed notices a man in a red sweater who breaks the illusion and everyone reappears. Why was he there? Because um, he's wearing red. He was at the game. Yeah, but if he was wearing red in the first place, he shouldn't have been able to, to get rid of anybody. Agreed. I think he couldn't see that guy until the people in front of him disappeared. So that's why that guy was still there. But... Here's the thing. Why does the girlfriend turn to kiss her boyfriend after everyone disappears? Yeah. How did you recover so quickly that you're like, all right, well, now we're alone. I guess we can kiss like you said. That would be one of the things where I would just be witnessing it and just instantly vomit. Yeah. Because my brain couldn't process what has just happened. I would vomit into his mouth on purpose. (laughs) You did this. But also the guy in red doesn't react. Right. To To everyone disappearing. disappearing. That's why I think it might just be in speed's head or in his girlfriend's head like he's just making it seem to them like the stadium is empty but everyone's still there ah but somehow he still saw the guy in red yeah because he couldn't get rid of the guy because he was when he made people invisible suddenly this red guy appeared from behind the only guy in the whole fucking stadium wearing a red (laughs) shirt that day (laughs) suddenly the man grabs a bag and makes a run for it So Speed follows him up out of the stadium and tackles him in the grass outside. Turns out this man was a wanted fugitive named Scardella. I was sure this was an innocent man when Speed caught up with him, but I guess not. (laughs) Well, I didn't think he was an innocent man, but I thought he was somehow involved. Because he he gets up and leaves as soon as the crowd comes back. Yeah. I thought, oh, this guy knows something or... About the powers. Yeah. But it turns out nobody knows anything about the powers. Except maybe Silvius. But yeah, this guy, just by coincidence, this guy was the only person wearing a red shirt and a wanted criminal. When Dunlop asks how he found the guy, he for some reason tells the truth for the first time admitting to non-psychic powers. You had everybody disappear? You want me to believe that? It's the truth. Now look you, you stop this nonsense or so help me, you're gonna be driving a a garbage truck, you got it? Got it. Good. As they pass a grocery store, Speed has a vision of another robbery happening inside and throws their cruiser into a U-turn to stop it. As he skids into the parking lot, he uses their car to tear the driver's side door off the getaway vehicle, and then he leaves Dunlop in charge of apprehending the getaway driver. The scene reminds me a lot of the opening gambit from MacGyver episode Blowout, in a very similar looking grocery store, where MacGyver stops some robbers from ripping off the store, but in that episode, it's a little old lady who scores the point of crashing a guy through a pyramid of cans with a shopping cart. In this film, Speed pushes the cart into an armed robber with his mind. He follows the second robber into the back room where the man opens fire on him. Speed leans back and forth, seemingly dodging the bullets for a moment before catching the final shot in his teeth like he's fucking Ace Ventura. Dunlop has apparently secured the getaway driver and the man at the front of the store and runs in to take aim at the second robber before criticizing Speed's terrible aim. First thing tomorrow morning, you go back to the firing range. You never even hit him once. Dunlop assumed the shots he heard were from Speed's gun but Speed doesn't have the heart to show him that he was actually catching all the bullets fired at him in the barrel of his own gun, which is why he doesn't shoot back. I I also really just wanted uh, Dunlop to shoot the The bad guy guy for no reason. He's out of bullets now. I caught caught five of them and then one in my teeth, so he's done, and then he shoots him in the head. Speed dumps all the mashed bullets out of his barrel into his hand discreetly. Outside the store, Dunlop and Speed are interviewed by the press for the incredible bravery they've shown here today. We cut to Tony Torpedo's beach house where he watches, it's actually an office in a boat, I guess, 
Uh, but we cut there where he watches a story on the news while making weird faces at himself in a hand mirror. Do you guys recall the last time we saw a character watching a TV and making weird faces at themselves in a hand mirror? What? Framed the same way, the TV in the background and the hand mirror comes up on the right side of the screen and he's just making weird faces into it. Oh, uh, was it Fade to Black? No, but it was another movie about a guy obsessed with old movies. Um, the, oh, 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 I got it, I got it. Uh, the man with Bogart's face. That is correct. Hi, guys. This bus. Those two cops are getting too big for their bridges. His henchmen remind him that everything he does is perfectly legal, so there's nothing to worry about. But this is blatantly untrue. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Why did they say that? <laughs> Torpedo asks for an update from the Barracuda, the boat he keeps offshore where men catch fish and then load them full of counterfeit cash to sell on shore. Yeah, everything's going like clockwork. Yeah, we're shipping out a hundred grand's worth of George Washington's right now. George Washington's? <laughs> yeah. Who the fuck counterfeits ones? It costs like $50 minimum to make a realistic American currency bill. I, at first I was just like, we're shipping out a bunch of George Washington's. Like, is that a nickname for the type of fish? Yeah. That they're, that they're, that they're using. And so I looked up George Washington fish and there's a huge article about George Washington and fish. I was like, well, this must be what they're referencing. That's got to be it. There's no way they're making $1 bills that cost $50 each to make. So they're losing $49 on each one. So I guess there's like this famous story of George Washington was leading his army and they were out of supplies. But there was a fish rain from the heavens. He cut down a cherry fish. Yeah. (laughs) But I guess there was a rare migration of shad moving i know what that is yeah uh base animal crossing oh i was gonna say stardew valley but (laughs) yeah both of those yeah um and and apparently like there were so many that they were able to catch them and feed feed the army so i was like are these fish shad they don't look like shad i don't know what this (laughs) is a reference to it's not even the right season how are you catching shad right now (laughs) (laughs) you're not in the river (laughs) on rainy days only later speed and dunlop stop at a coffee truck Speed levitates his cup to his hand from the truck, but Dunlop, again, doesn't want to hear about it. Speed stops Dunlop to tell him he sees a truck loaded with counterfeit bills. Dunlop says he doesn't see anything, but Speed explains that he looked through the truck again. Dunlop makes the driver open the back of the truck, which, again, is illegal because there's no external indication that what they're doing is wrong. But inside, everything's wrapped in red plastic, so the fish and counterfeit bills are all invisible to Speed again. So, how are they visible... I have an answer to this. They were visible to him because inside the truck was dark before. But then he wouldn't be able to see anything inside the truck. No, he can see everything inside the truck, but he can't see the red light bouncing from the sun off of the red things. The only thing that blocks his vision is red. So he saw everything that was in there because Mm -hmm. he could detect the shapes of every individual item. But then as soon as you let light in and red light bounces into his eyes, he can't see shit. He's blinded by it. So so you're saying he saw everything in black and white or in some kind of like... Or black. He, He sensed the 3D... He could see through each dollar bill so he can see how long each one is. He can tell the shapes of everything inside this truck. It works perfect. No. <laughs> no, it does not. All I saw in there were fish. Now, I'm not saying they weren't counterfeit fish. But even if they were, there's no law against it. Or is there? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I'm love- I love that Borgnine said the things that they wrote down for him to say. Because he could just as easily have been like, nah. We cut to Speed and Evelyn hanging out on a beach. She tells him that she thinks she imagined the moment at the football game where everyone vanished. You're not crazy, Evelyn. Everyone did disappear. 
He tells her that he's changed recently. I'm not normal any longer. I'm different. Dave. Oh, come on, Evelyn. Not that kind of different. <laughs> what kind of different did she think he meant? Is it like, I'm gay now? Is yeah. that, is that oh, the I'm, joke? Yeah, I think that's the joke. He tells her he got superpowers from the explosion in Poboke, but he keeps using the colonizer name of Creektown. She invites him swimming to end the conversation, but he reminds her that he can't swim because he was born in the mountains where swimming is famously illegal. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you know I was born in the mountains. Yeah? I don't have water? When she leaves to change, he notices a group of children playing with a beach ball near the water, and they accidentally throw it too far to reach. No, I, I, I think he's controlling the ball. Oh, is he? Oh, yeah. He's playing with I missed them. that. Yeah. That's why, that's why the scene goes on for two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but he pulls it out to sea then. Yeah. Uh, but he offers to collect it for them, and he walks across the surface of the water to collect their ball. Do you guys recall the last time we saw someone walking on water? I do, but I don't. I remember it was a thing that we talked about. I think I have one, and I might have a second one. We talked about there being a platform in the water. Mm -hmm. I remember this conversation. I'm trying to remember what it was. It would have to be someone mystical, right? Most people can't do that, right? Most people? Someone with powers. Was it Holy Moses? I don't think so. It was from this season, 1981. Where do people get powers from? Other than amoeba rays. (laughs) (laughs) What are some people we've dealt with that have powers? One of them shows up in this. Superman. Yeah. Superman has powers. Oh, yeah. Okay. Did someone walk on water in that movie? In Superman 2, yeah. Zod. Who did? Zod did. When they land in Houston. Uh, Is it Houston? Well, they land on Houston because they think Earth is the planet Houston. (laughs) Yeah, but but they're in Houston, Idaho or something, right? They're (laughs) They're not in Houston, Texas when they show up. Was that the only one you had? That was the only one I could confirm and remember. But I felt like there was one in one of those God movies. I thought it was actually in... In God We Trust? I thought it was in, in, in God We Trust because they drive their the church bus off a pier into a lake. And I thought maybe someone walked on water after that, but I couldn't remember. I know he baptizes a bunch of people in the lake. Maybe mm-hmm. that's what I'm thinking of. When Evelyn returns, she's in a red one-piece bathing suit, and when he sees it, he falls through the surface of the water. He's quickly struggling to breathe, and she has to rescue him. Luckily, the kid's ball floated back to shore, and they can pluck it out of the water. But, like, he's drowning here in, like, a foot of water. Like, it, yeah. like Evelyn is literally standing up, and it goes up, like, halfway up her leg. And I'm like, you could literally just stand up. Stop crumpling and he, over. he throws his face under the water. <laughs> One of the kids, a little girl, walks over to the nearly drowned man and advises Evelyn to make out with him. Hey, why didn't you give him mouth to mouth? Yeah, okay, great. She does, and Speed wraps her up with a hug and continues to kiss her. The girl just stands there watching and smiling like a pervert. We cut to Speed's home where he is whipping up a meringue in the kitchen. His cabinet door is open, and the face of it is plastered with a photo of John Wayne so that it looks like Speed's top half behind the cabinet is being replaced with the top half of John Wayne. I actually really like yeah, this gimmick. It's an amusing like, image. How do you know it's a meringue? Because he was cracking he... eggs into it. Yeah. Oh, and then he's whipping it. Okay. Because I'm just like, is that potatoes? Is that eggs? Is that, I don't know what that is. Whipped Who cream? knows? <laughs> <laughs> he carries the meringue into the living room as he continues to whip. But when he lets go of the mixer, it continues whipping the meringue without him. He walks away from it to watch television while his food continues to make itself. The phone rings, and he knows magically that it's Sarge before answering. Dunlop demands he report to Chief McEnroy's office in the next five minutes, despite living across town. He doesn't even take five seconds. If he leaves that out, that meringue is going to fall. 
He doesn't have to. It'll take care of itself. Just gonna keep whipping forever. It's all on autoplay. <coughs> you see that, Chief? You see that? Those are the cute little tricks I gotta put up with every single day. But I've had it. I've had it right up to here. Why is he so mad about this? These powers have helped them solve like 20 major crimes yesterday. It seems like he should just desperately want to be partnered with this guy so they can look great in the press all day. Or he would be promoted right. and get me out of there. Chief McEnroy accuses Speed of playing some kind of practical joke and admits he's done the same in the past. Why, well, I've been known in my day to play a couple myself. I'll never forget one time, right after I came out of police college, I painted myself green, head to toe, pretend to be a Martian. <laughs> okay, good story, buddy. What? Do you, what? Why? Why did you do that? Dunlop says that Speed faked surviving a 20-story fall, and to prove it was real, Speed dives out the chief's office window, which has been conspicuously open this whole time. Super of course, when they look over the side, they see that there's a red mailbox right beside the car at the curb, so his powers were never activated. He's almost unconscious on the roof of the car, and a dog peeking out the window is wearing a bright red bow for added insult. Weirdly, Silvius is here again to witness the unsuccessful attempt as well. We cut to a hospital where Speed is in a full-body cast, and the doctor tells Dunlop that Speed's broken every bone in his body. He asks Dunlop to please take Evelyn out of the room because he doesn't want her to see him like this, but she's also, coincidentally, wearing a red jacket here. But, so he's, but he's, at this point, he still doesn't know about red. Right. So but, he's, he's genuinely saying, I, I want her yes, out of here. Yeah. Alone with the chief, he decides to prove his powers by opening and closing the door to the bathroom, and when McEnroy moves to investigate, he slams the door behind the chief, locking him in. Out in the hallway, the doctor tells Dunlop and Evelyn that the new x-rays have been processed, and miraculously, all of the bones have been completely healed. If I was the doctor, I'd be like, these are the wrong x-rays. Yeah. Go back. <laughs> they rush into the room to share the great news, and Dunlop has to get within feet of the hospital bed to notice the full body cast is empty, but I like the joke of it being in the same position and everything. Yeah. How did he get out of it? He just blinked himself And out. where did he go? Out the window again. He's lying on another red car outside. <laughs> At night, Speed tells us in his internal monologue that he spent the last 12 hours looking for Silvius, because for some reason, Silvius is the only one who can explain what's happening to him, because he was the only person who saw both falls and might have noticed what he did differently the second time. Speed approaches a freak show barker and says he's looking for Silvius. After some cash prompting, the man tells Speed that Silvius is a dog ventriloquist, but that he's been laying low lately since he swindled some money out of the wrong people. He tells Speed where Silvius was living last he checked. He also mentions before Speed leaves that three gangsters were here looking for Silvius, and we can assume he means Torpedo's henchmen. In the house, Speed doesn't find Silvius, but there are several caged pups in the empty house. Silvius's bedroom wall is coated in newspaper clippings from his magician career. Outside the house, the mobsters pull up and park. When the guy said that three mobsters were looking for Silvius, I assumed he meant days ago, but apparently he meant, like, I literally just gave them the same address, yeah. so hurry. Yeah, as, and, it, and he seemed to be, like, a friend to Silvius. Yeah, it's like, why are you giving everybody his house address? Yeah. Speed hears them coming and hides in a closet. Now it's the mobster's turn to search the house and call Silvius' name over and over. Apparently they're here to find the $30,000 that Tony Torpedo paid for a talking chihuahua. Obviously, the dog is not talking, but Torpedo was fooled and shelled out lots of cash for it. One of them eventually finds Speed, but closes the closet right back up. There's a guy in there, but uh, he isn't Silvius. Paradise reopens the closet and asks Speed who he is. I know who I am, and I know who you are, but do you know who he is? Speed admits he's here looking for Silvius too, 
but he'd never tell these jerks where Silvius was, even if he knew. They all take turns punching him and breaking their hands. Speed even hands the leader of the henchmen, Paradise, a guitar to hit him with, and the first swing does nothing. Between the first and second swing, though, a blanket is knocked off the bed, revealing that it's bright red on one side, so the second guitar swing knocks Speed backward through a window into the front yard. But he sees the red... Right. And and goes, oh, okay. Like, he has, like, an okay moment, like, oh, this this one's actually going to hurt now. Yeah, he, but, sh- he shouldn't do that yet. Exactly. Yeah, interesting. I didn't catch that. When they try to leave the house, they are stopped at the front door by Speed, inexplicably wearing a baseball glove on each hand. I don't know why. <laughs> He's able to take on all three men, despite one of them still being wrapped in the same red blanket. Speed takes off the baseball gloves and collects two... Are they water jugs? I couldn't tell what well, these were. They're not transparent. No, they do look like those very large water jugs, but they are spray-painted silver, so I think that they're supposed to look metal, like they're going to impact oh, okay. them more, but they are definitely plastic. Yes. And uh, he uses these water bottles to fend off a second round of attacks from the mobsters. Speed takes one of the clippings off the bedroom wall, but do we ever see this clipping again to understand why he took it? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why we show him take one down if we never, ever look at this page. Paradise sneaks up on him with a television, but before he can knock Speed out, Speed kicks him in the chest, and the man drops the TV over his own head. Do you guys recall the last time we saw a character get a TV smashed over their head? Oh, um... In the hotel room? Uh... I don't know if it's the last time, but it's the last time I can remember. And it wasn't in a hotel room. Oh, then I'm not thinking of the right thing. I'm thinking of... Are you thinking of Rhodey when they I destroyed the TV? I am thinking of Rhodey where they yeah. were destroying the TV. Yeah, the he door. doesn't smash it over anyone's head, but he does break the TV by smacking it. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking of Mother's Day mm. when the girl sneaks up on one of the guys and smashes the TV over his head so that we can see his face through the screen. Finally, Speed and the henchmen move into another room and we hear the battle off screen for a while. And when the camera moves inside, we see the three men are trapped in dog cages and all the dogs have been freed to escape the house. And all the guys in the cages are panting for whatever reason. They've turned into dogs. Now be good boys. We cut to a television in Torpedo's office just as a news story announces that Rosie LaBouche is coming to town this afternoon. The henchmen are here to report that they could not locate Silvius and they are ordered to the airport to collect Rosie. Did you find the old man with the dogs yet? No, boss. We well, find him! Yeah. You know, he and I got some unfinished business. Later, Speed learns that Sergeant Dunlop has rearranged their duties today so they can be at the airport as Rosie LaBouche arrives. They notice Torpedo's goons arriving to pick her up. As Rosie climbs out of her private plane, Dunlop is instantly enamored. Photographers circle her for pictures. I, I think that this is the most genuine performance I've seen is that when he, Ernest Borgnine applauds for her and she yeah. blows him a kiss and he jumps up and down. He's yeah. so excited that, that she <laughs> paid him any attention. Dunlop wishes he could just talk to Rosie and Speed grants his wish by detaining the goons who attacked him at Silvius's home. Both groups acknowledge that they recognize each other, but the goons are just pretending to be innocent here and Speed is pretending to be an unrelated cop to the one they attacked. It's very weird. Well, yeah. I don't. Do they acknowledge that they recognize each other? I think one of them says that's the cop from Sylvius's place. they recognize him, but throughout this entire movie, Speed sees them like four different times and does not recognize them any of those times. I don't know. I mean, he'd have to be real dumb for that to be the case, but maybe that is true. But he doesn't acknowledge it throughout the whole film. Every time he runs into the same people. Well, and I think when the goon says, I recognize this guy... I think it's that he recognizes him from TV, not from the fight that they just had. Yeah, that's so weird. 
All three of them fought this guy yesterday, and they don't recognize him for this entire confrontation. When Paradise hands over his ID, Speed slams the door on the man's neck, and then his hand. Speed makes the goons play a game of Simon Says, giving them goofy instructions to stand in a line and lift each leg. It looks like a sobriety test, but only one of them was driving. While they comply, Speed is literally eating petals off of the flowers they yeah. brought for Rosie. I, I was like, what? Yeah, he's just plucking them off and putting them in his mouth like they're potato chips. And there was no payoff to that one. No. Aren't some flower petals, like, really, like, toxic? Like, yeah. you, 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 you know, they're, they're he's pretty, but they're... Well, roses aren't, though. Okay. Unclear if they're actually doing these movements willingly or if he's puppeteering them the whole time. When Rosie notices her ride is missing, Dunlop offers to take her and her things wherever she's headed. He confesses he's a huge fan, and he even worked on some of her films, so apparently he wasn't making that up. I thought he was just making that up. She seems to conceive of a plan here when she realizes what a fan this cop is. Oh. <laughs> Are you married, Sergeant? I've always been dedicated to my work and to my mother. <laughs> Back at the goon car, Speed is forcing the men to all punch each other until they collapse. Right! Left. Right. Left. Right. Left. That's it. Okay, you passed the test. Get back in the car. Speed lets the men go, and they back right into another parked car, so he tickets them for reckless driving. Wait, he hands them back the bouquet, but it's completely bare. Yeah, it's just, it's just green. Green now. Back in the chief's office, Dunlop is getting chewed out for giving Rosie LaBouche a free ride. McEnroy informs Dunlop that the town has been flooded recently with counterfeit ones. We cut to a dog race arena, and Torpedo is betting with counterfeit ones like a child. <laughs> it's just like, this looks so silly, him literally handing over $1 bills. Like, here's $4 on that dog. This is, even if you won the grand prize, <laughs> it's like $30. Congratulations. Dunlop in plain clothes and speed in uniform are here too, and Dunlop can't stop waving and smiling at Rosie, seated beside Torpedo. Torpedo is upset with her for drawing the eyes of the police. Speed asks if he came here on his day off just to see her, and he says he knows the dogs well, but today his picks have been garbage. He nearly tears in half the ticket he bought for Man's Best Friend, but Speed recommends he hold on to it. He looks out at the track and stares at the dog, seeming to psychically push Man's Best Friend around the track ahead of the others. Even though that there are red posts all around yep. the dog track. Dunlop is overjoyed to have picked the winner this time. Ah, he did it! He did it! I'm going up to get my winnings! 16 to 1! <laughs> super, super! At the ticket counter, Silvius is spotted by Tony's goons and makes a run for it. Speed notices them chasing Silvius and follows along. Silvius jumps in his car and peels out, and the bad guys do the same, but Speed finally lives up to his name by just T-1000ing after them down the street. He runs alongside the driver's side window and asks the goons if they're chasing Silvius. They deny it, so he says, drive safe, and then cuts them off on foot, so they crash their car into a parked one, and Speed runs off to catch up with Silvius. He asks why his powers didn't help in the second jump, and Silvius supposes a simple trigger may deactivate his powers, even suggesting that a specific color might affect them. <laughs> Just then, Speed loses his powers and crashes full speed into a bright red wall. He falls to the ground and laughs when he realizes the answer. We cut to the goons, reporting once again to Torpedo that they've lost Silvius. Why do you keep going back to his office if you don't have the guy? Just hang out and find the person you're supposed to track down. They blame the appearance of Dave Speed, the super cop, partner of the cop with a crush on Rosie. Torpedo slaps his plate of spaghetti and launches it all over his incompetent henchman. Which is funny because this image will come back in a few seconds. Yeah. We cut back to Speed's place and he's laying on the ceiling of his living room reading a Superman comic. 
Dunlop and Evelyn arrive and assume Speed is late when they don't notice him above them. Wrong, Sarge. You're late. Well, you're floating. Now tell me you don't believe he has superpowers. Dunlop orders him down and Speed asks Evelyn to take out the red fabric he asked her to bring. When Speed falls from the ceiling, he reveals a hole through which he was probably suspended by a rope. He tells her to put the fabric away and then flies again, bonking his head on the ceiling. When Evelyn takes the fabric out, he closes his eyes and then drops out of the air a second time when he opens them. He tells Dunlop that the color red takes his powers away, probably because of the red light from the atomic explosion. He reminds Dunlop of the nuns at the red light and the fish truck full of red plastic. Now, can you remember what was written on the side of the truck? Yeah, Torpedo Fish Company. Right, that's our man, Torpedo. Get it? No, I don't get it. Wait a second. You mean to tell me that notorious mobster, Tony Torpedo, whose goons you've been fighting for three days now, is somehow involved with some sort of criminal element? Dunlop points out that Speed can't arrest Torpedo without admissible evidence, which they truly don't have. Evelyn admits that Speed's powers bother her. I mean, I don't know if I'll ever be able to get used to them. I love you, but I want you the way you were. This moment really comes out of nowhere, and we should have seen his powers cause at least one inconvenience in the entire yeah. film so far. Or or she witnesses him doing something, like, vindictive or cruel right. with them. Like he's about to. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. he's about to witness that. Um, uh, but I wanted to quick say uh, about the spaghetti, because there's an amazing poster yeah. of a baby covered in spaghetti with the quotes, why me, at the bottom. <laughs> and I was like... I want that poster. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there was a very similar billboard that was like a uh, birth control advertisement that was just like baby covered in spaghetti. And I was like, are you sure? <laughs> Speed can clean the house and cook dinner while sitting on the couch with you watching a movie. And you want to cure that? Imagine you're going to marry a walking, talking domestic appliance. Batteries included. Oh, terrific. A human Cuisinart. Now, I know we've had our disagreements on how to pronounce Cuisinart, but I think we can all agree that it's not fucking Cuisinard. <laughs> <laughs> what, what were you saying before? A Quasinart? Quasinart. And, yeah. we, and we had Cuisinart, but not Cuisinard. When you want to be serious, you can find me at home. Freeze. And suddenly, we are in a horror film. Evelyn is frozen in place, but apparently aware of everything happening around her. Speed informs her that they will be married, whether she likes it or not, and then he puppeteers her arms and neck into an embrace and kisses her against her will. When he unfreezes her, she slaps him hard across the face. This should have happened before she said she was uncomfortable with his right? powers. Yeah. Ugh. Was, was this the moment? Yeah, this is the moment. <laughs> that you texted us and you were like, what in the name of consent is happening here? Yeah. <laughs> That night, Speed heads out in search of locations that received counterfeit ones, starting purely coincidentally with a strip club. <laughs> it's like, well, I got six pharmacies and a strip club. I guess I should hit the strip club first. Yeah. It's a topless bar with no topless women. Yeah. Very disappointed. Yeah. And <laughs> there's a roof over the place. You got to cut that off if you're gonna if the ladies have tops. What? It can be a topless bar if there's no roof. Oh. <laughs> and they're wearing tops. I'm like... <laughs> trying to figure out how like an arena makes it okay like <laughs> no it's never okay to wear tops in a topless bar unacceptable he enters the attached pool hall and watches two men finishing a game and betting on themselves one of these men is apparently the owner and he doesn't appreciate speed's interruption because he has money on the line five dollars <laughs> i got five bucks right on this wall the guy says it like it's a hundred 
I think someone should have stopped between scenes to explain just how little money $5 is to the mostly Italian <laughs> crew. Speed bets the man 10 bucks that he'll miss the shot, and then cheats so that not only does the guy miss the ball, moving on its own, but he tears a big gash down the pool table that will probably cost hundreds of dollars to fix. The owner walks Speed to the cash register to give him his winnings in ones. Seven, eight, nine, ten on the head. Ten good American bucks, kid. That's how I refer to money when I hand it out, too, <laughs> at the checkout at the grocery store. Here's 20 non-counterfeit dollars of completely legal American tender. I hope everything's to your liking. Wink. Counterfeit! Yeah, see, the hologram's missing. And there's no such team as the Spungos. And finally, these seem to be printed on some sort of cracker. Stop eating our tickets! <laughs> <laughs> Go home, you know your money is no good here. <laughs> Wait a second, this is real money. <laughs> Speed asks where he can find the men's room and then pretends it's locked so he can violently drag the owner inside. He flushes the ten fake ones down the toilet when he could just as easily have spent that money on a dancer on his way out. What's the owner going to do about it, though? <laughs> he should have just been like, great, I'll take a $10 drink, please. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, fuck, now I just have to give you a drink. I can't give you a counterfeit drink. Unless it fits in the counter. <laughs> <laughs> he says he knows the bills are fake, and he's a cop, and he wants in on the business. 500 a week, and I'll stay off your back. The man pulls out the cash immediately to get Speed to leave, and he specifically asks for it in, what is or he saying? Like? Nothing smaller than a five. Yeah, because he's like, hold on, I got one, two, three, 500 good American dollars for you, kid. <laughs> Dunlop and Speed pull up to the Macombo Club on a docked ship to see the opening night of the fabulous Rosie LaBouche with a black and white cardboard standee of her out front. On stage, Rosie is singing a song we've heard before. <laughs> do you guys recall the last time we heard Tony Rennes' Quando, Quando, Quando? I do. I do. What do you think the last time was? Stripes. I think that's correct. Quando, 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 quando. Unless oh. you have something more recent. I was going to say the Blues Brothers. No, but... that was before Stripes. Mm. So those are the only two that I can think of. I thought there was a third one. I feel like there is a third one. But the guys sing it when they're in Colombia, and before that, Murph and the Magic Tones are playing yeah. it in the Blues Brothers. And and I for you know what? I wouldn't have thought of Stripes only because that's it's the, the extended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and it was just in the season of uh, Umbrella Academy, the third season, which I was just watching. Oh, they played that song in the in pharmacy the, or whatever. In the grocery store. Yeah. yeah. Instead of on the way here or earlier in the day, Speed offers to share with Dunlop his entire plan right now just to spoil this performance for him. He says he's going undercover, sort of, as a crooked cop with the intent of catching Torpedo red-handed with the phony bills. Dunlop compliments the song as though he were complimenting the plan. Marvelous. Just marvelous. Thanks. I appreciate your liking it. Like it? I love it! <laughs> Rosie starts inviting men from the audience to dance with her, and Speed urges Dunlop on stage. Dancing on duty is a violation of police code 42 slash B. Oh, Sarge, you're a credit to the force. Uh, besides, I don't know how to dance. Sarge, look at me. You're going to dance like Fred Astaire. Like Fred Astaire. I'm going to dance like Fred Astaire. Dunlop joins Rosie in a dance, and she is impressed with his moves. 
Paradise comes to take Speed to Mr. Torpedo's office, and Speed predicts everything the man is about to say. On the way, they pass a game of dice, and one of Torpedo's men claims to be impossible to beat because he's using weighted dice and rolling sixes every time. Speed can't resist the challenge and rolls two sevens, bewildering the men. Now that's hard to beat. Back on the dance floor, Dunlop is stupidly sharing with Rosie all of Speed's strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, I, I went back to see like if that was part of some of the suggestion. No. Like it's literally just here's the thing I decided to spill my beans about to you. Yeah. You make him sound like something out of a comic strip. Oh no no. Oh no. He's just as human as we are. <laughs> oh. The only thing is that every time he sees red, mm. he loses his superpower. Oh, really? Up in Torpedo's office, Speed is asked to take a seat in front of Torpedo, and he stares hard into the man's eyes. Super, super. Immediately, Torpedo starts spilling all of his dirty dealings without censoring himself. He admits to ordering a hit on Silvius and to flooding the city with counterfeit cash, and even where he makes the bills, much to the dismay of his own henchmen. So in this moment, is is he being, like, coerced yes. by magic? Every time we hear, super snooper, it's him using powers on someone. Okay, because I don't think it's clear, because he doesn't actually do anything here. The guy just starts spilling his guts. Yes. Yeah. And I thought, oh, he's recording this conversation. In his memory. That's it. Boss. And you'll never find out that the press is set up in my fishing boat, the Barracuda, which is anchored in the Gulf. You know why? Why? Because there's no cop smarter than I am. <laughs> but he makes Speed guess how he smuggles the money into town from the Barracuda. Well, let me see. Sewn into the fish. Sewn into the bellies of the fish. Your boat catches, right? Torpedo can't believe he guessed it, and we cut right to Dunlop and Speed finding the boat by helicopter. Is that, is that how they detect the counterfish? Fa- counterfish? Counterfish. <laughs> counterfish cash? Counterfeit cash? Is that it just all very smelly cash? That's what I was thinking at some point someone was going to smell a one and be like, ugh, no thanks. But I guess they smell the same at a strip club. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Dunlop can't fly the chopper, but they're desperate to get a look at this ship, so Speed agrees to lower Dunlop down to the deck on a rope. It almost seems like Dunlop expects to die in this stunt. Now listen, you! You take care of Evelyn! (laughs) It's like, Jesus Christ, dude. Why don't we just come back later? (laughs) Speed gently sets Dunlop down and flies away, leaving his partner to fend for himself. If there were bad guys on this boat, they already know the cops are here, because helicopters are loud. Dunlop apparently has a fear of boats because he checks about 10 square feet and claims there's nothing here. He looks in like two doors and he's like, nah, there's nothing here. We got the wrong boat. Let's keep looking. Speed urges him to explore more and he finds a room overflowing with $1 bills. More $1 bills than an indie rapper's Instagram. He also finds a freezer full of fish that could be used to move the cash. He reports the find to Speed, but as he describes the room, Paradise sneaks up behind him with a pipe wrench. Yeah, and and Speed is so delighted of this news he's like giggling going (laughs) (laughs) he tells speed not to come down and collect him so they can report the find together but to leave him here in enemy territory for no express purpose after the chopper takes off we cut back to the counterfeit room where the henchmen have knocked dunlop out and make plans to sink the boat with him aboard to protect the secrecy of their operation dunlop wakes in the freezer alone and the door is locked shut 
He looks through the window in the door and sees the sea level rising in the boat. When Speed touches down back at headquarters, he's surrounded by officers with weapons drawn, and Rosie shows up in a bright red dress. I guess so he can't murder her here. Yeah. He just blinks her out of existence. The chief asks Speed what he's done with Dunlop. He's on the Barracuda. I told you so over the radio. Rosie says that Speed is a corrupt cop and he muscled Torpedo for protection money at the club last night. He's a corrupt cop and Sergeant Dunlop found out. That's why he had to kill him. Speed points to the Barracuda as proof, but the Coast Guard says they found no such boat at the coordinates he provided. As is police policy, they take the word of a random citizen over their star policeman because cops don't notoriously stick together. Speed is arrested for murder, and the chief puts some accidental Irish twang into the (laughs) M-word. Murder. (laughs) You're under arrest for the first-degree murder of police sergeant William Dunlop. (laughs) Incredibly, on the testimony of a single witness who was not present for the crime, Speed is sentenced to death. We cut right back to the jail from the start of the film as Speed is walked to the chair. Can't he just close his eyes and he not can. see red? Absolutely but can. Hang on a second. Yeah. When we started the film, didn't he say that he had been, they attempted to execute him multiple times at this point? Correct. Yeah. It's how, been weeks. How long has it been? Yeah, it's been a long <laughs> because time. Because in theory, he had to be tried, convicted, sentenced to whatever, to death row. But here's the thing. It really doesn't matter how long it's taken. I don't understand that. Well, we'll get there. Cause, yeah, because people are on death row for years. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. As long as it doesn't look like the actor hasn't aged enough, then you're fine. <laughs> we'll come back to it, I promise. When he sits down, he notices a bundle of roses that Rosie brought to the prison on display directly in front of him. But as we've proven earlier, he could just turn his head or close his eyes and the red won't affect his powers. He asks the warden where the flowers came from. Well, they're from uh, Rosie LaBouche, the film star. I'll, I'll read the card. To Dave, may the red of these flowers bring you the warmth you deserve. Rosie. Speed claims that he is allowed a final wish in the chair and asks for some bubble gum. Have you ever heard of this tradition? Don't I get a final wish? You don't have cancer. You murdered a guy. (laughs) Well, you usually get it like in your jail cell, maybe. Like you get a wish. Well, last request. Like like a last request. Like usually would be for like a meal. Food. Yeah. Yeah. I've never heard of anything other than food, but he asks for bubble gum and then he specifies to chew later, which is the same joke he made about the adzuki beans earlier. I, I, I do like that it's a last wish and not a last request because I've heard it as last wish in another movie, uh, in the movie Man on Fire. Oh, okay. Because uh, the guy he's about to kill is like, can I have a last wish? He's like, yeah, I wish you had more time. <laughs> <laughs> then he kills him. On his way out, Speed instructs the priest to take the flowers for the altar in his church, so he does. With no red in sight, the switch is thrown, and Speed sends the electricity all around the room, electrocuting everyone but himself, (laughs) including several innocent people, I would assume. Yeah, is he murdering all of them? I don't think so. I think the electricity that would have killed him is being spread across 15 people. But he is also- But maybe that's not how electricity works, and they would all die anyway. But from what I could tell, he's also still being electrocuted. It's just not affecting him. Yeah. yeah, he's just receiving it and then sending it out. I really wanted the priest to exit, but then enter the gallery. Yeah, with the, and then get electrocuted uh, yeah. there. <laughs> oh, yeah, he wouldn't get electrocuted because the powers would be stuck. Speed pries off all of the pieces of the chair that are wrapped around him and then dives through a brick wall to his left directly into the ocean through the side of the jail. So he, like, 
off a off a few floors down into the water. Yeah, he he friggin' Lilu's right out of the room. <laughs> a manhunt is instantly underway. Under the water, Speed stops to ask a fish for directions to the Barracuda, <laughs> and hopefully specifies that he means the ship the boat. <laughs> I really this fish should have been a Barracuda. Yeah, that would have been. Like, no, not you. <laughs> not, not you. you. <laughs> not you. <laughs> <laughs> He finds the ship on the ocean floor and swims inside until he finds the freezer with Dunlop completely frosted over inside. Which is why it doesn't matter how long it took, because he's frozen solid. <laughs> he could have been in there for years. He starts blowing bubbles with his gum that the warden gave him, and then out of nowhere the ship is completely gone, and Speed and Dunlop are riding the enormous hot air balloon sized bubble to the surface of the water. But it doesn't stop there. <laughs> Wait, but hold on! Freezers aren't going to work underwater for years. Uh, they might. I don't know. It's cold down there. Yeah. It's cold at the bottom. It's cold in them there hills. (laughs) What? No. No, this doesn't make any sense. Here's another question. Where did all the air come from that's going into this bubble gum? Because there's no air for him to breathe down there. He's a god. He can do whatever he he wants. And air wouldn't have been enough to make it float. It would have had to have been hot air or helium. (laughs) Anyway, he fills this bubble with helium somehow. And then when it gets to the surface of the water, it continues flying into the sky, and then it coasts on a breeze back toward the city. Dunlop slowly thaws out and wakes on the balloon and asks Speed where he's been this whole time. For someone who claims to hate bubblegum, he recognizes the smell of the balloon and then licks it profusely to test his hypothesis. Hell, it tastes like chewing gum. Well, it's not. It's bubblegum. Chewing gum doesn't make bubbles, idiot. Dunlop suddenly notices that there are hundreds of feet in the air and starts panicking. We cut back to Torpedo's office, where Rosie is packing their things in case, as she suspects, Speed will return to arrest them somehow. They have their eyes on Cuba, but then a news bulletin comes on the TV, and a fisherman who saw the balloon rise from the ocean identifies Speed and Dunlop as the two men riding it. Torpedo's henchmen kidnap Evelyn to use as a ticket out of town. I don't know how, because they're not planning on encountering anyone. They don't need her at all. The balloon floats over the Macombo Club just as the bad guys rush to a stolen plane parked outside. Rosie and Torpedo are making a getaway. They've got Evelyn. They got Evelyn? The plane takes off right below the balloon, and Evelyn assures the villains that they won't get away with this. Speed jumps down from the balloon and lands right on the top of a plane, which is, of course, painted with big red stripes that for some reason don't affect his powers at all. Speed forms a magical radio with his hands and puts out an all-points bulletin to intercept this seaplane before it can leave their jurisdiction. This would have come in handy a few times so far over the course of the film. Yeah. Speed peeks in the window of the plane, and Evelyn is relieved to see him here, but keeps quiet about it. Speed starts to steer the plane from the outside, and even flips it upside down to disorient everyone. He forces the plane back down to the water, and up a ramp onto a small runway where it's quickly surrounded by police cars. Evelyn and Speed hug, and she asks a monumentally dumb question. Well, how did you do it? You know, my superpower. <laughs> I love that he had Ugh. to explain that. Rosie drops her red feather boa, and it wraps around Speed's foot. Chief McEnroy offers Speed a handshake by way of apologizing for trying to murder him on the testimony of a random stranger. When they ask where Dunlop is, Speed points to the ball in the sky. Dunlop says he's going to jump because he's confident Speed will save him. The red boa slows Speed down, and he barely gets under Dunlop before the man hits the ground. Why, why would it slow him down? He's not looking at it. I don't know. He doesn't even know it's there. And people are trying to draw his attention to it. It's like, shut up, guys. He doesn't see it. 
We see a flimsy dummy crash into speed and they both disappear into a huge hole in the earth. Again, the eulogy start instantly. We can all be proud of Officer Dave Speed. He died in a valiant, vain attempt to save the life of his friend and superior officer, Sergeant William Dunlap. We'll remember them Excuse me. with fondness Excuse me. and pride. Excuse me, Chief. This call is hardly the moment. Have you no respect for the valiant dead? I really think you should take this call, sir. It's a uh, long distance. Ah, fine. We cut on a gong sound to a smoking hole in the ground in China, where Speed and Dunlop have apparently just popped out of the earth on the other side of the planet. Evelyn takes the phone call to talk to Speed. Oh, we're fine. That is, thanks to my superpowers. Let's get married. I know you learned to live with it. We cut right to their wedding, and after the vows, when Speed takes down her veil to kiss the bride, we see she has dyed her hair red, so that he can no longer paralyze and take advantage of his blushing bride. Is it red? It's really more of like a pinkish yeah, purple. Yeah, it's clearly a spray red. They didn't like yeah. literally dye her uh, hair. She needed like Lucille Ball red. Yeah, it needed like, to be a wig bright. is what it needed to be. <laughs> and when he kisses her, he yeah. does like this long like, oh no, I'm in for it now, gaze to the camera. Like, While he's still lip locked with her. It's like a whoopsie face. It's really uncomfortable. Everything except for flower shapes around his eyes fades to red, and we see the words the end to close it out. I get wanting the red hair as protection from him, but I couldn't help but imagine they get in a car accident on the way home, and she begs him to lift a truck off her, but he can't do it because yeah. her hair is red. <laughs> she just dies there. Well, I'm also, like, the fact that he wants he wanted to marry her, but now that he knows he can't manipulate her, he's upset about having yeah. married or her. Or he just fucking hates redheads. <laughs> but he's he just like, Gross. But he can if he just closes his eyes. Yeah, but what's the point of tearing off all of someone's clothes if your eyes are closed? Close your eyes, tear off the clothes, open your eyes back up. But then you can't see anything because she's red-haired. What? I guess you're not blind. Yeah. (laughs) Or you close your eyes, dye her hair. (laughs) Cover her hair up. Yeah. Yeah. You're good. Or just close your eyes, tell her to freeze, and then... Put her in the shower for a few days until all the color get washes out. For a few out. days. <laughs> or the freezer for a few years. Until all the you know. color washes out and her skin falls off. <laughs> uh, so uh, that'll be red too under <laughs> Oh god. He can't he can't do anything about blood. Oh man. Yeah, if someone's like bleeding, he can't save them. <laughs> yeah, as long as nothing's broken the skin, he's fine. Everything else he has to figure out how to do with his eyes closed. <laughs> and, and at first I was like, oh, man, well, how are you going to get around the red lights on the cop car? But the cop car has two blue lights. I or like, they cancel out the red lights. I was like, oh, man, there's no red lights on this car at all. He doesn't even need the car, though. <laughs> That's true. Just run around. Um, yeah. So that was Super Fuzz, guys. I've actually seen this movie before. Yeah. What? I, I didn't realize it until I started watching... But you've always made a very excited sound when we talk about it. I thought that was because you'd seen it. Well, it like I was excited because of the just the concept. Yeah. But then watching it I was like, oh my gosh, I ha- I think I've seen this before as a kid. I remembered I remembered a couple of things. I remembered like the walking on water. I remember I even remember oddly enough remember him shooting the gun up in the air instead of shooting at the alligator. Yeah. But I remembered it being less goofy comedy. I remember it being like a more, a lighthearted but still more actiony film in my head. I wonder you if you were a kid, everything yeah. was just acceptable. I also don't know if the edit is different for the Italian version of the film. Is it possible you watched it with subtitles before, or do you think I, no? Not as a kid, no. no. Okay. Well, yeah. Um, I th- I think it's fun. It's a very cartoony cop movie. 
Um, I think it gets a thumbs up from me because I'll I'll probably watch this again. I'll put this on for the kids or something. I I'm gonna give it a thumbs down. <laughs> it was you laughed so hard at this movie though. No, like as much as you want to say it's no good, I heard you laugh at least every ten minutes for the no, whole movie. No, I did not laugh that much. <laughs> it was like two or three moments that I laughed because it was so so stupid yeah that doesn't mean it's good it was just so stupid i had to laugh i think that that <laughs> the pronunciation of murder made me laugh you know murder that, that doesn't mean it's good <laughs> i the the cuisinard <laughs> cuisinard cuisine i can't even say it wrong just say quizzy like test like yeah and then nard quizzy nard <laughs> that's what she says is it copywritten? You just can't say it? <laughs> <laughs> That's why she screws it up so bad? Yeah. They, they Is did, the word murder copywritten? <laughs> they did a copyright title report. It's like, oh, she can't say Cuisinart. <laughs> it's like, oh. Well, they said it in, uh, what was that? Uh, seems like old times? No, Private Benjamin. <laughs> it's an Italian knockoff. It's what they call it there. Cuisinart. <laughs> Cuisinart. Uh, it's a thumbs down for me. Um, it's. I'm the only thumbs up on this one. Yeah, you're the only thumbs oh, up. Oh, that's ridiculous. It, it's no, this movie is ridiculous. Yeah, but, in the best way. Uh, I, I, I didn't not have fun watching it. Right. But <laughs> right. But there's definitely a lot of like lulls in it where things, the gags just go on for too long. Like the the kids playing with the ball takes a while. Well, and and making the thugs dance in the parking lot. Yeah. Like it, all, what, the gags just go on for like a little bit too long. You, you trim all those down. And but I feel that's also like an attention span thing from 80s to now where that's yeah. kind of changed a little bit. But uh yeah, I mean, there's a couple people I might recommend this to just like it's like, "Oh man, have you seen Super Fuzz? Yeah. It's terrible." <laughs> Watch it. <laughs> but that that's it. So I I don't want to I don't want people out there or listeners to go, yeah, you need to spend time watching Super Fuzz. Yeah. yeah. I also like that his powers are completely undefined and boundless. Like he yeah. could literally do anything except for look at red stuff while doing the things. Yeah. He can make 80,000 people disappear. He can generate matter from his body. Yeah. He uh, could probably make 80,000 people appear. Yes. That I, I, didn't exist before. Or he could duplicate everyone at that football stadium on this rooftop and prevent himself from getting arrested. Yeah, he he can stop people and post hypnotic suggest to them. Yeah, I don't know why he hung out in jail for so long because it seems. I mean, he does make the point that oh, Rosie somehow worked red all over the jail so that there's yeah. nowhere I could be that I couldn't see it. And it's like close your eyes, do whatever you want. Close your eyes and just start walking forward yeah, until exactly. you're outside. <laughs> It's just a, a whole the shape of him and a wall and a person. And yeah, like the, they're throwing chains around him, just dragging, but they're just like dra- he's yeah. just pulling all this along. <laughs> um, what are we thinking, Letterbox for this one? Uh, I have it. I have it right next to a movie that I feel fairly similarly about. Uh, so I have it at one twelve out of one twenty four. It is right below Condor Man, <laughs> uh, and it is above Hell Knight. All right. Richard? Um, I have it at 99, uh, which is below Savage Harvest, but above Student Bodies. All right. I have it in 47, <laughs> which is just under Bust and Loose, and is just above Superman 2. So what? Super Fuzz beats Superman. That's probably true in real life, too. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, I think because he just blinks and Superman's gone. He, he's the but Superman's wearing red. Oh shit! <laughs> oh, then he closes his eyes and Superman's gone. Yeah, he, he's like me the... too. If I do that, <laughs> <laughs> I can't like... see. It's like don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> is, is he the, the so self-centered? <laughs> is he the like the mix yes mix yes spicklick of this universe? No, whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> is that the guy from uh, the Flintstones? Ah, uh, no, that's the Great Kazoo. It's the same thing, though, right? Yeah, it's essentially the same thing. Yeah. But yeah, mix mix yes spicklick is uh, this omnipotent being that who comes appears in. when you say his name or something. Uh, you have to say his name backwards or get him to say his name backwards. And his name backwards is Kill Pixie Zib Leonard. <laughs> what are you talking about? What is it from? It's from Superman. It's a, this is an actual Superman's Rogue Gallery character. This character should appear in the DC universe uh, somewhere. Uh, he, he he did it on the animated series, voiced by Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> oh, perfect. Oh man, I wish uh, I wish he would show up in like oh, one of the live action ones. That'd be fun. They did the Great Gazoo in the uh, in the Flintstones sequel, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Did they have uh, Dabney Coleman do the voice? Okay, oh, because he did the original. I think he did. did. Or someone someone of note did the original voice and did it the entire time. I think. Harvey Corman. Oh, Harvey. Same Corman. thing. Was Harvey Corman even alive when Flintstones Rock Vegas came out? Uh, he may have been because he he was still around in the early two thousands. Because I'm pretty sure he did the voice for every incarnation of the Flintstones like the old school stuff and a bunch of the reboots he came back and did the voice again for Maurice LaMarche took over for him in 98 but not ongoing well he was around after that though so I guess he must not have done it for his whole oh, life 2000, then. he did it in 65 and 2000 what was written 2000 yeah because I know Harvey Corman was alive at least in the 2000s because he was in that weird movie Gideon oh okay I don't know if you remember when that movie came out at Blockbuster Mm-mm. Christopher Lambert and Charlton Heston. You've mentioned it on the show before yeah. where it was like uh, in a convalescent home or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he, it's like a being there type situation where he's he's a mentally handicapped man, but everyone thinks he's just really wise because oh, okay. he speaks so simply. Oh, okay. It's like Simple Jack, basically. A little bit. Basically. Huh. What do you got? Um, <clears throat> in uh, Viva Rock Vegas, it was uh, Alan Cumming as Gazoo. Oh, interesting. I guess that works. That's fine. <laughs> My favorite joke about that movie is not a joke from that movie, but it was from John Goodman hosted Saturday Night Live the week that that came out. And he's like, go check out Flintstones Viva Rock Vegas. I worked really hard on it. And then someone comes and whispers in his ear and he's like, what? I'm not in it. Oh, thank fucking God. It looks terrible. <laughs> <laughs> like he literally, he doesn't say fuck, but he's like just shitting on this sequel to the movie that he made <laughs> about how terrible it looks. Uh, it's so funny. I think he was pretending to be drunk for that opening monologue. It's very, very entertaining. Bill Brasky. <laughs> uh, our writer-director here was Sergio Corbucci. He's an Italian director whose work split duty between blood-soaked spaghetti westerns and Hill and Spencer action comedies. Before and after this, he directed Hill and Spencer collaborations Odds and Evens in 78 and who finds a friend finds a treasure in 81 he directed navajo joe starring burt reynolds the great silence with klaus kinski but he's probably best known for his 1966 film django featuring franco nero which spawned dozens of unofficial sequels including tarantino's sort of spiritual sequel django unchained in which nero made a brief cameo 
His brother Bruno Corbucci directed the very similar-sounding Miami Super Cops, this time with Hill and Spencer in the leads. Lots of this cast show up in that film as well. And there's so many repeats here because Florida was a very small film community. So if you cast a movie in Florida, it's going to have at least eight people in common with every other Florida movie. The writer here was Sabatino Quaffini. He also wrote Odds and Evens for Corbucci. The music was from Michelangelo LaBionda, who scores follow-up Hiller Spencer pick Who Finds a Friend Finds a Treasure, and this film's pseudo-sequel, Miami Super Cops. Cinematographer Silvano Ippoliti, we've seen his work lighting Caligula on the show, Editor Eugenio Alabiso, previously edited For a Few Dollars More and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly for Sergio Leone. He edited that Italian The Concord Airport 79 ripoff, Concord Affair 79. <laughs> he also cut something called The Island of the Fishmen that I'm eager to check out, and not just because it seems from the IMDb screenshots to feature a lot of naked Barbara Bach. Terrence Hill played Officer Dave Speed. He works often with Bud Spencer. He's probably best known as the title character from the Trinity films. They call me Trinity, and Trinity is still my name. There are only two Trinity films? As far as I can tell. <laughs> there is a third one that came out like way later, like in the oh, 90s, okay. and he's not in it. It's about their children or something. Because of his resemblance to actor Frank Nero, they played many similar roles, including a turn for Hill as Django in Coming At You director Ferdinando Baldi's unofficial Django sequel, Django Prepare a Coffin. After They Call Me Trinity, Hill appeared opposite Henry Fonda in My Name is Nobody, and then in 2018, he wrote, directed, and starred in Italian drama My Name is Thomas, but none of these name tag movies are related in any way. Ernest Borgnine was Sergeant Willie Dunlop. We've seen him so far in When Time Ran Out, High Risk, Escape from New York, and Deadly Blessing. He's also Marty and Marty and Dominique Santini on Airwolf. He was Mermaid Man on SpongeBob SquarePants. Later in his life, I remember he showed up on SNL as a celebrity guest in one of Keenan's What's Up With That sketches, where Keenan would keep getting distracted with dance numbers and barely talk to his esteemed guests. Joanne Drew played Rosie LaBouche. She was Tess Millay in Red River, Anne Stanton in All the King's Men, and Olivia Dandridge in She Wore a Yellow Ribbon. From the mid-50s on, most of her credits are for television. This is her final feature film credit, which she sort of accidentally references in the film. My greatest role. What an ending. Mark Lawrence played Tony Torpedo. He shows up in several Charlie Chan movies in the 30s, always as different characters. He's Slumber Inc. attendant in Diamonds Are Forever, Rodney in The Man with the Golden Gun, Earhart in Marathon Man, Stiltskin in Foul Play, and later he's Klopman in Disney's Newsies, an old-timer motel owner in From Dusk Till Dawn, Mr. Zemo in Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode Bada Bing Bada Bang, and his last credit was as Acme Vice President in Joe Dante's Looney Tunes Back in Action. Julie Gordon played Evelyn Dunlop. She's barely in anything, but she's also Karen in 1987's Blood Rage. Lee Sandman, Sandman probably, <laughs> Lee Sandman played Police Chief Jay McEnroy. He played Father Leadpipe in King Frat, and he's back as News Staff in Absence of Malice later this season. Those are both Florida titles. Woody Woodbury played NASA Major. He's a policeman in jail and hardly working. Another, we'll see a lot of hardly working below. Herb Goldstein played Silvius. He was in Mako, The Jaws of Death, King Frat, and so far on the show, Eyes of a Stranger from the director of King Frat. And he's also in Miami Super Cops. Claudio Ruffini played Tragedy Row. We saw him last as LaRue in She, Security Hazards Expert, a minisode. Jack McDermott played Reporter. We just saw him as a reporter in Airport 77. He's a banker in Hardly Working. Win in Final Countdown, obviously another Florida film. Mr. Harper in The Fun House, another Florida film. 
we'll see him back in absence of malice as news staff so there's a lot of people here that show up specifically as a news staff in absence of malice he's also the police chief in miami super cops who'd have thunk it ben taylor plays a cop in miami super cops can you believe it florence mcgee plays old lady she was phoebe russell in empire of the ants harold bergman played the priest he was the bellman in final countdown captain in nobody's perfect reverend in cocoon and dr Irwin in cocoon 2 so he plays two characters in the cocoon movies and his last role was as another reverend on dawson's creek buffy d plays the ticket seller with the turban at the fair he's barney in mako the jaws of death we saw him last as cb in hardly working he shows up in another super cop movie 1985's miami super cops <laughs> all over this movie clarence thomas not that clarence <laughs> thomas <laughs> plays a witness he's in mr mike's mondo video and he's a policeman in cocoon and my last credit here was julian volishin who plays old man in fishing boat which i assumed was going to be like a director cameo but it's not uh but he played sam roth in godfather 2 but it's uncredited so maybe he did who knows but those are the credits i have for this one i think that's everything for super fuzz if you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share we are vintage video pod on twitter facebook instagram youtube and letterboxd where as i said before you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year we can also be found at vintagevideopodcast.com. We also have a Discord now. Join the 24-7 movie chat and share your thoughts on episodes past, present, and future at vintagevideopodcast.com slash Discord. And if you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing the Boogans, which IMDb describes like so. Otherworldly creatures are released from the bootleg tunnels underneath a small-town mining community and begin chomping on the locals. We leave you now with a trailer for the Boogans from the director of Hangar 18 and Earthbound.
Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason. And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we are finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. You can find the All 80s Movies Podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Please subscribe, and happy listening.